Welcome to the Lesbian Review Podcast. I'm Sheena and today Tara is joining me again. She just can't stay away. It's magnetic. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> I just love you that much. I think it's more <clears throat> accurate to say you just love books that much. And so you're a natural choice when I'm doing top 10 lists. Well, that's true. But I also do tend to follow you all over the internet. <laughs> this is also true. <laughs> well, we make a great team. That's true. Okay. True. So today we're doing a very exciting list. And this is... This is the 10 best Thawing the Ice Queen novels or Taming the Beast novels. So I categorize it as either or because I feel like Thawing the Ice Queen doesn't quite fit with some of them because butch women tend to be more beast-like in the novels than Ice Queen-like. So it's like they're wilder rather than kind of meaner, if that makes sense. So that's why I categorize it like this. So Sheena just goes forth and makes her up her own stuff. But now, the concept of Thawing the Ice Queen is not mine. Tara actually introduced me to that. So, Tara, I'm going to leave it up to you to explain what this actually means. Okay, the funny thing is, I obviously also didn't coin it because I'm just not that, I'm not that good at or creative and it's been around. And I actually think I became aware of it because there were people in our Facebook group, the Lesbian Review Book Club, who talk about it quite a lot as well because it's just like catnip for certain people. So... Basically, what you have is typically a romance, um, or it might be kind of a subgenre of romance that is slightly less romancy. And one of the two romantic leads is just like a super bitch, especially if it's the Ice Queen versus the Beast. She's very closed off, very guarded, can be quite sharp with her words as a way to keep other people away. And it's typically through the love of the good woman that she is partnered with in this book that those walls start to come down the ice thaws a bit if for nobody else other than that other person and i would say in the beast one maybe super bitch isn't the way i would put it but it is that like very prickly very guarded very off-putting um, and intentionally off-putting sometimes depending on the book and again, it's that through the love of a good woman or often the um, talking to the people around them who are responsible for them being that way in the first place, that their character arc is all about warming up and being able to open themselves to love, if for no one else other than their romantic interest. Absolutely. But everything is better with the love of a good woman. We've discovered this through Lesvik. True story. <laughs> okay. These are my criteria when I was choosing books for this category. So the first thing was one of the main characters needs to be an ice queen or a beast. So this person needs to be super prickly, super like no friends, don't come near me kind of a character. The next criteria for me was the other main character needs to thaw the frozen heart or tame the beast of this woman. And typically, and this is not a criteria, but typically what will happen is the beast tends to be a butch and the the other woman tends to be a femme, no matter if we're dealing with an ice queen or a beast. So we can have, the ice queen tends to be a little bit more femme, and the love interest in both cases tends to be a femme. That's just an observation on my part. Okay, another criteria for me was... Not true. Sorry? No, sorry, I was just, sorry. I was surprised you're right. It is a femme in either case, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, regardless of whether it's a beast or an ice queen. Because I'm looking at my list, and the ones that didn't quite make it on my list, and that's... A hundred percent. That's really interesting. Because it'll never be a butch character that 
that has the soft romantic love squishy stuff and the strength the internal strength to thaw the you you're giving me big one eyes on my, one on my list is oh really oh exciting yeah. okay we'll get yeah. to that we'll get to that okay so another criteria for me was that it's well written i'm not interested in in badly written novels and i wanted something a little bit different Something new, particularly exciting, something I hadn't read before. Just something interesting in the story itself. Okay, so that's my, my criteria for my picks. So what what were you looking for? All the same stuff about the Ice Queen Beast, obviously, because it would make sense if it was on this list. Uh, same thing for well-written, because again, we don't put poorly written books on our top ten list. That just doesn't happen. I guess for me, I don't know that I was looking for anything new in particular. I was just looking for, like, what are the very best examples? What are the stories that I hold close to my heart that I will go back to reread, that I will evangelize to people (laughs) when they ask for this kind of a book, or even when they don't ask for it because I just love it that much. I feel like people should read them. And there were... A couple of books, one in particular that almost made it on this list and did not only because I've included it in a couple of previous top 10 lists on the Lesbian Review. It's very good. It deserves to be on the list. But at the same time, I can't put the same books on every single list every single time. So trying to get a little yeah, you're bit way more, way more disciplined with, than I am in that regard because i got a couple who have made... This is a whole bunch of lists. <laughs> well... I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, now I'm tempted to make a last minute swap. No, we're recording. Okay. So my first pick is Tricky Wisdom by Cameron Ide. Okay. So this is, I'm going to read the blurb from Amazon. So Darcy Rice is a closeted lesbian who has been infatuated with her best friend Taylor since junior high. Leaving her small northeastern Minnesota town for Boston in the quest to become a doctor, She moves in with fellow med student Olivia Boyd, a neurotic anal giant thorn in the side, a.k.a. the Ice Queen. The first year of juggling medical school is grueling enough, but it's nothing compared to living with Olivia. Coming out of a sexually frustrated closet to friends and family with an anticlimactic flop, Darcy uses her newly publicized sexuality to try and win Taylor's affections through an ill-hatched scheme that crosses uncomfortable lines. The result is as unexpected to Darcy as Darcy's affinity for medicine is to Olivia. The first year of medical school is a nerve-wracking encounter in medicine, learning lessons the hard way, and desires of the heart. It's absolutely charming. So why I love this one particularly, and what makes it different for me, is Ide gives Darcy, which is the main character, a dorky, innocent naivete that I just absolutely adore. So through this kind of dorky, oh, you know what, she's actually not femme. Ha! I totally just just disproved my own theory. Oh! <laughs> I does these kind of dorky, awkward, very sweet characters extremely well. And she's paired this one with the Ice Queen of Note. Oh, and Olivia's just the best Ice Queen. She is such a royal cow. And <laughs> then what happens is Olivia at one point has to pretend to be Darcy's girlfriend so that Darcy can try and win Taylor over. And things get a little bit heated, let's say that. And uh-huh. it's an utterly charming book. I absolutely love it. And best of all, Ida is doing a second book in the series, and that's coming out later this year. That's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. So that's my first pick. All right. So my first pick is 
First Position by Melissa Brayton. I will also read the Amazon description, which says... Anastasia Mickelson is the rising star of the New York City Ballet. She sacrificed creature comforts, a social life, as well as her own physical well-being for perfection in dance. Even her reputation as the Ice Queen doesn't faze her. Though Anna's at the peak of her career, competition from a new and noteworthy dancer puts all she's worked for in jeopardy. While Natalie Federico has shown herself to be a prodigy when it comes to ballet, she much prefers modern dance and living on her own terms. Life is too short for anything else. However, when the opportunity to dance with the New York City Ballet is thrust upon her, it's not like she could say no. Dealing with the company's uptight lead is another story, however. When the two are forced to work side by side, sparks begin to fly on stage and off. So, this is not actually my favorite book by Melissa Braden, because everybody knows, because I won't shut up about it, that Kiss the Girl is my favorite book by her. But I actually think that this is her best book. I think this is her best written book. I think this is the one where she really showed some versatility from some of her previous books and the characters in those books. And that's specifically because of the Ice Queen in it. That's not the kind of character that you typically see from her. And she did it so, so well. And a lot of it is just tied to Anna's drive. She, you know, she wants to be the principal in the company she wants to be the very best and at the very top and she was raised by a single dad who was also a dancer who basically taught her that you know dance is life and there's no space for anything else and natalie comes into her life and is just this like burst of vibrant color she's as hot as anna is cold and they are just kind of magical together. And not only does the Ice Queen get thawed, but the woman who thaws her kind of like, she gets some balance in her life as well. And it's just, I don't know, it's a wonderful book and I totally recommend it. I definitely need to read that one. Oh yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the next one on my list is Ambi by Jill McKnight. Mm, I like that one a lot. <laughs> I like that one a whole lot. I was surprised it wasn't on your list, actually. That's because I know that you've read it much more recently, and you possibly love it even more than I do, even though I'm not totally sure that's possible. I think it's possible. I, th I, think, it's <laughs> <laughs> I think it's possible, too, actually. Okay. This book is just... Uh, this book is hilarious. I think McKnight nails the werewolf personalities in this book and Silver Collar just with such a writing prowess that I just you know when you want to like rub yourself on the book because it's just so beautifully written it's like that I glommed that whole series like I just plowed through from the first book to the last I think it took about a week and I couldn't do anything else when I was reading it yeah Amber Eye is the second book in the series and it can stand alone, but it is better if you read the whole lot because you get to know some of the side characters. Book one's main characters become side characters in book two uh, and three and so forth. And so it kind of amalgamates. So it is better to read it from the beginning. But Ambi specifically is a taming the beast in quite a beautiful way. Okay, so I'm going to read the, the Amazon description. The thing with the gurules is you never quite get what you think you will. They are really something else. Hope Glossy loves her job at Amber Eye Inc., despite having Jolie Garul as her new boss. Jolie is a moody workaholic. She's awkward, contrary, and on occasion just plain mean. Hope is hardworking, popular, and in recovery from a serious illness. 
She doesn't need a bizarre boss. She doesn't need office politics. And she doesn't need to work over Thanksgiving either. Nevertheless, that's what she and Jolie end up doing. In Little Dip, home of the Garul clan. An important meeting brings them back to the valley where it's assumed Jolie has brought her chosen mate to meet her pack. Much to her consternation, Jolie finds she likes the idea, but Hope has no time for romance. She's eager to get her life, health and career back on track, nothing more. Jolie is determined to change her mind, but how does a lycanthrope woo a human? A small and super efficient, bossy boots human at that. What Jill McKnight does so beautifully in this is she writes from the perspective of both characters, both Jolie and Hope. And you can see how the misunderstandings, the very sweet misunderstandings, are happening between the two of them. For example, there is the best battle over an office chair. So there's 101 little touches that make this book absolutely endearing. In the story, Jolie is the beast. She's unpleasant to work with. Nobody in the office likes her. She's super efficient, but not at all interested in playing well with others. And through knowing Hope and Hope's persistent prodding and poking, Jolie ends up being okay to work with, being an okay boss. Jolie's just a big puppy werewolf who doesn't know better, and Hope's going to teach her. And it's just, it's an adorable read. I absolutely love this book. One of the reasons that this book made the list as something very different is because where do you find a Taming the Beast novel where it's literally the character is a beast? And just the little touches in this book is just beautiful. This is a this is absolutely one of my favorites. You must read this book if you haven't. My second book is the reason why I was talking about subgenres of romance, and it is The Red Files by Lee Winter, which is not just a straight up romance, but let's be honest, it's a romantic suspense. I know some people call it a mystery, including the author herself, and I understand why, because the mystery element is really strong in it. But the romantic subplot is also really strong and is a fabulous thawing the ice queen. So the description says, ambitious daily sentinel journalist, Lauren King is chafing on LA's vapid social circuit, reporting on glamorous A-list parties while sparring with her rival, the formidable icy Catherine Ayers. Ayers is an ex-Washington political correspondent who suffered a humiliating fall from grace, and her acerbic, vicious tongue keeps everyone at bay. Everyone, that is, except knockabout Iowa girl King, who is undaunted, unimpressed, and gives as good as she gets. One night, a curious story unfolds before their eyes. One business launch. 34 prostitutes, and a palette of missing pink champagne. Can the warring pair work together to unravel an incredible story? This is a lesbian fiction with more than a few mysterious twists. So yes, they can unravel the story. And as fabulous as they do, Ayers is... She is not someone that I would want to be cornered by at a party. I would probably flee and hide because she's so, she's so vicious when she sets her sights on somewhere else. But she's so brilliant and she's closed off for a reason. And she's been burned very badly in her kind of run out of Washington. And... The thing that I loved was how slow the burn and build between Lauren and Catherine was. She's a perfect example of, she's never going to be warm and fuzzy to everybody, but 
she thaws enough to make that space for Lauren in her life and in her heart. And seeing their relationship grow from absolute antagonists to kind of this almost grudging respect to where they are at the end. I just, I adore this book. It's, it's not Lee Winter's best book because Requiem obviously is the best book. And I'm quite curious to see the new one, which should be releasing soon, I think. But this one is my favorite and so much of that is because of the characters because I love the characters I love reading them I love reading them together I love their dialogue I love some of the quirkiness to the mystery but it really is all about these characters and that's why I've t I think this is the third podcast I've talked about them on and I've talked obnoxiously about this book on social media because I just think you know everybody could have fun reading this book. And Lee Winter writes a fabulous Ice Queen in her professional fiction, in her fan fiction. Like all of it is so, it's just, it's so good. It's delicious. And I totally recommend it. She's, uh, it's her thing. The Ice Queen. Yeah. It's totally her thing. Like I think Winter is more passionate about the Ice Queen than we are. Yeah, I think you're right. And actually she's one of the ones that I noticed in that like she talks about it fairly frequently in the uh, Facebook group. And so now it's kind of a, like I just associate it with her. Absolutely. Which yeah. brings me to my next choice. Okay. Which is Requiem for Immortals by Lee Winter. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. And it's interesting because this is not a traditional Ice Queen story. It really isn't. Not at all. No, no. I'll tell you why I categorized it like that in a second, but let me first start at the beginning and say, tell you what this story is about. First of all, I fangirl about this probably more than you fangirl about the Red Files even. Like, this has been on all my lists. If I have a list, I find a way to put <laughs> Requiem for Immortals on my list. Mm -hmm. I own that. I totally fangirl over this book. That's accurate. The story's about a professional cellist, Natalia, who's an uh, assassin named Requiem, so it's the same character, okay? Professional cellist Natalia moves seamlessly among the elite, where she fills the souls of symphony patrons with beauty even as she takes the lives of the corrupt of Australia's ruthless underworld. The cold, exacting assassin is hired to kill a woman who seems so innocent that Natalia can't understand why anyone would want her dead. As she gets to know her target, she can't work out why she even cares. So the reason I, I put this as... Uh, a thawing the ice queen because it really really is not a very traditional one but i'll tell you why it's because where most thawing the ice queen novels are usually very romantically inclined this one isn't but there is a wonderful element of natalia starting off the book where she's not at all interested in sex or emotion other than as leverages to control others but towards the end of the book that changes so there is that emotional thawing from no feeling to some sort of feeling. And it is because of a woman. I like I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I actually had considered it for my list, and then I thought you might reach through the screen and strangle me if I did. <laughs> because what? I know how much you love this book. Um because it's I mean you're right, it's not it is not at all a romance novel. Not even close. Like anybody who picks this up thinking they're going to get a romance novel is going to be like deeply disappointed. Yeah. But there is a beautiful thread of romance that pulls through that I think is, I don't really know how else to say it, except that it just feels authentic and, and it's totally an ice queen one. Like that's just, 
It is. And so, so this is why I added it to the thing. It's not because it's in the traditional sense at all, but I, I loved that movement from the no feelings, no sex, unless it's a power move to, it's, it's not even that she suddenly has all these feelings or this need or whatever it is. It's more like she realizes that there's more than just the leveraging that needs to happen, you know? So she, and I don't want to give away too much because that's such an important thread in the story, but definitely this, this makes my list for that reason because it is something very, very different. And for me, I think this was one of the reasons I loved the book so very much was that character movement, that character growth. Because without it, it would not have been as spectacular a novel as it is. Totally seconded. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Okay. So, I don't care if we are recording. I did swap out that book. Because you put in Requiem, which has been on 100 lists, and I don't care. <laughs> you go, go. More power yeah, to right? you. <laughs> I've, uh, I've made changes to top 10 lists after I've already submitted them to you. It happens. It does. That's cool. Okay, That's so cool. the next one that I'm going to choose, unless I change my mind in the next three seconds, no. So the next one is Behind the Green Curtain by Riley Lachey, um, which I have put on erotic romance lists. I liked it enough that I put it on the 2015 list, even though it came out in 2013, because it was just a book that, like, it left me rattled. And... I don't know. I'm a weirdo with my list. It happens. So for this one, I'm not going to read the Amazon description because it's only like two lines and doesn't really tell you anything. So what I will read instead is the synopsis that I did for my review. Katen is beyond overqualified for her day-to-day job at Halston and Company, but it's avoiding CEO and office ledger Jack Halston that becomes her personal mission. Suspicious of his offer to work as a personal assistant to his wife in their home, she takes it anyway, and she manages to negotiate a salary too good to pass up. When she arrives and meets Amelia Halston, she quickly learns Amelia has no idea she's been hired and has no interest in a personal assistant. Relegated to filing in a basement storage room, she only catches glimpses of her cold yet beautiful boss. And despite having a sweet, beautiful girlfriend, something keeps drawing Kate into Amelia so that when things become sexual, she just can't seem to say no. Oh my god. Oh my god, this book. I haven't read a book like it before I read it, and I haven't read another one since. There is so much sex in this book, and none of it is repetitive. And all of it is kind of like, it, it's used almost like language. And it ties really beautifully with the idea of thawing the ice queen. Because for the first several sexual encounters, it's very much Amelia just comes and takes. And the way she takes is by giving Caton orgasms. And Caton doesn't know, like, what is going on. All she knows is that, like, her boss just keeps coming and doing this to her. So that when they finally do have a kiss... And it's not in a sexual context. It is really kind of tied to that thawing. And it's really beautiful. Amelia is hard to get to know. And it's not that there are no scenes from her perspective. But there are much fewer scenes from her perspective than there are from Caton's. So you kind of have to put together what you learn about her and what she's going through. And you do find out like why she is the way she is. And it totally makes sense. But then you take those little bits that you learn about her when we see her perspective and you need to really use that as you're watching her through Katen's eyes and you just see this like very very slow 
gradual thawing so that by the end she really is a truly different person than she is in the beginning but it's all with this like dark erotic tone that takes you from the beginning right through to the end and it's just it's whew, it's a good one i think that's the magic of thawing the ice queen though very few of the stories are told from the perspective of the ice queen so you the, you need to love this person from a distance and that's interesting for me because you have to be a spectacular author to pull that off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ide's novel, which I mentioned first, Tricky Wisdom, is like that as well. Not There's not really anything from Olivia's perspective. It's all from the other one's perspective. So not an easy feat for an author. Yeah, because you have to, we have to as readers be able to, I mean, we don't have to identify with them or anything like that, but we do have to be able to appreciate them or at least connect enough that we want to follow their story all the way to the end. And when you don't, especially when they come out so unsympathetic, like many of them do, because many of them are awful at the start. Like I know a couple on my list, there's especially the last one that I'm going to talk about. She's awful at first. So how do you write them so that they're sympathetic enough that you want to follow them all the way to the end, that you want to see that transformation? Like how do you make readers believe that it's going to happen? That they can be redeemed. And often if there's another a third person in the love triangle, if you like, you don't want the readers to go, oh, go with that other person. That other person's much nicer than the Ice Queen. And it does happen. So Thawing the Ice Queen is probably one of the more difficult subgenres to write because of this. Yeah, I think you're probably right. So what's your next one? Number four on my list is The Song in My Heart by Tracy Richardson. I couldn't decide between this one and Richardson's other one, which was... Um, Ooh, by Mutual Consent. That's a good one, too. Yeah. And then I sat down with my wife, because they both have similar themes in them. They just uh-huh. done it a little bit differently. So I sat down with my wife, and I was like, I'm having such a problem, because I can't have two Tracy Richardsons on my list of five books. That gives me only three other options, you know? So my wife was like, okay, well, which one would you reread in a heartbeat? That's how the song in my heart made it onto my list. All right, so I'm going to read you the blurb now. Fame and money rained down on Des Hampton like a monsoon. She couldn't imagine needing more, until her golden voice was silenced. Don't you love the dramaticness of it all? (laughs) Now her quiet days are filled with guitar, and she savors every sunrise. Curious, as a favor to a friend, she emerges to hear a rumored superstar in the making. Music pours out of Erica Alvarez through her voice and her fingertips. She is awed that the reclusive Des Hampton wants to hear her sing, and then blown away when Des agrees to sit in for a few gigs. Des can tell that Erica is destined for the life that she once had and wants no part of it ever again. But can the magic of the music they make together and the growing love between them trump Erica's ambition and Des's fears? How much are they willing to sacrifice for it and for each other? This doesn't 100% explain the book, I must tell you, because it's a little bit... Uh, it sounds a little more romance I mean, it's romance, but it sounds a little more romance than Ice Queenie. Here's the thing about Des and why I chose this one for the Ice Queen thing. is She's not a typical Ice Queen in that she's not like super rude or that sort of thing, but she's a recluse. She's a very uh-huh. hectic recluse. So she doesn't want to know about going out and performing. She's terrified of the world. Where she was a, once a major superstar and was in front of public eyes, now she doesn't want to do that. So her Ice Queeniness comes more from fear. So uh-huh. apart from that, it, it combines a number of sub-genres. It's it's a rock star. It's a age gap. It's a... 
It's a recluse. Oh, I'm going to have to read it now. Why haven't you read it yet, Tara? You should totally have read this book already. Come on. I don't know, man. Look at the list of books I've reviewed for you in the last year. That's probably why. Because I read all those other books for all of our wonderful <laughs> readers. But now I'm going to have to read this one. It's like... You just said it has all my favorite things. This... Well, to be fair, to tell you at the time when I reviewed it, like, you should totally read this book. But... <laughs> I know. I know. This is why I chose this one, because this Ice Queen is a little bit different. This Ice Queen is, is a fear-based, fear of, of the public recognition. And so she actually steps back because she can see that Erica is going to be famous and then that's going to thrust her into the spotlight again. So there's this reaction to it, this pulling back. So this is why this one's on. And plus, I love the way Tracy Richardson writes. She has a kind of a, a fun, easy style to, to read. Yep, so that's my number four. That sounds really good. It is. I don't like the cover, though. Number four. All right, number four. Okay, so my number four is Blurred Lines by Katie Williamson, which, you know what, I'm just going to, let's let's just start with the description and we'll go from there. Kelly McCabe is a no-nonsense detective with a tough exterior. Only a select few know her as a loyal, loving friend. Committed to her family, her friends, and her job, Kelly puts her needs behind everyone else's. As a surgeon, Nora Whitmore is used to being in control. The hospital is her life and leaves room for little else. Respected by her colleagues, but misunderstood by the residents, Nora takes what she needs and keeps everyone else at arm's length. In the process, she creates unexpected enemies. Tragedy brings them together. As chaos grows around them, the lines between them begin to blur. Despite being from different worlds, friendship grows between them, turning quickly to attraction. Will these two strong, independent women find a way to deal with their individual baggage, or will they be overcome by it? Do uh, I need to read that one? Oh, it's well, you do need to read it because it's the March Book Club book. So, hey, sure. good news. Yes. <laughs> um, and actually, the story doesn't end with this book. It carries over into the second book, uh, which I think is called Crossing the Lines. Or Crossing Lines. Something like that. Anyway, regardless. So... Nora is the is very much the ice queen in this. Kelly is kind of brash, but I mean she is by no means anywhere close to an ice queen. Um, and actually, she is the more butch of the two that warms up the doctor ice queen. So um, yeah, Kelly's hey. cop. Nora's a doctor. We know cops and docs are like catnip for lesbian readers. <laughs> so that alone will probably make a lot of people want to read this. But Nora is so closed off, and it also. She's not only closed off, she also almost seems like she might be somewhere on the autism spectrum. It's like there's just the way her brain functions is not typical. And I think that also kind of contributes somewhat to how she... It's like she doesn't know the rules for engaging with other people. Kelly's laid up in the hospital. So basically the way they meet is she's shot on the job. It's not in the blurb it's not really giving away a lot because i mean it happens like right near the beginning or whatever and kelly's in the hospital for a long time because she has to recover from this gunshot wound and nora is one of the doctors who kind of comes around to check on her and she just pokes and pokes and pokes she loves messing with nora because nora is such a super bitch and it's just like fun for her to play and yet they kind of like slowly come together and it is that you know Nora thaws enough 
so that by the end of the book, I wouldn't say they have a happily ever after, but it certainly is like an optimistic, a happy for now ending. And the thing that I appreciate about that in this book is that it's very true to who each of the characters are. It would not have been appropriate if by the end of this book, Nora Whitmore is like, and I love you so much. Like it just would have been, I would have barfed and thrown the book away because it just wouldn't have worked. So the fact that she took a whole extra book. So this is actually two books of thawing the ice queen because she continues to thaw in the next book, but it gives it the space to happen organically and in a way that just feels right. I snuck another book on. (laughs) And you're delighted that I did it. You want to be exasperated with me, but you can't. (laughs) Tara, if you hadn't snuck another book on, I would be worried about you. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) You would have called my doctor. Um, So yeah, I totally, I I highly recommend this book. And if anybody wants to read it and hear more about it, I'll actually be talking about this one at length with one of the other reviewers from the Lesbian Review on my podcast, Les Do Books. And that episode will come out near the end of March. My last book on my list, and I'm totally waiting for a reaction on this one, is Courting the Countess by Jenny Frame. Yes! I didn't put it on because we put it on our last list! Well, it's still a really great example of a thawing the Ice Queen. Well, in this case, it's more like a Taming the Beast novel. Okay, so I know it it ended up on the previous top ten list, but that was because that was a really great audiobook, but it also happens to be a really great... Doing the Ice Queen novel. So, this one is about Professor of Archaeology Henrietta Harry Knight becomes the Countess of Axdale upon her father's death. And she takes a sabbatical from Cambridge University to begin refurbishing the long-neglected and run-down Axdale Hall. The child of a loveless marriage, witness to her father's infidelities and her mother's pain, Harry has no intention of ever falling in love. Enter Annie Brennigan. She's a survivor, and she's remained positive throughout all her hardships, and she's had some hectic hardships. As an agency housekeeper, she moves from post to post with her daughter, Riley, who's just adorable, taking care of people who have everything she will never have. And Annie's greatest wish is to find her happy ever after, and to give her daughter a home. Can love restore the Countess's heart and the crumbling Axdale Hall, or will the first foundations of love turn to dust? The reason this is on my list is because it's not all that common to see a countess as the main character in a novel. So I like that aspect of it. I like the archaeology subplots that were happening. And from a Thawing the Ice Queen novel, it's just beautiful because you see this one from both perspectives. And I just love that you watch Annie Brannigan manipulate Harry into being a nicer person ultimately. She courts her. She's courting her. She's not manipulating. She's courting. Come on. It's right there in the title. Okay, okay. She's courting her. But she was... It was very sweet manipulation. Let me put it to that way. Because she she knew the effect she would have by saying certain things and doing certain things. And she would literally think to herself things like, don't worry, I'll train you out of that. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just too adorable. Anyway, so I loved... I just loved this... this, Everything about the story. I, I loved it as an audiobook for an audiobook, but I love the Thawing the Ice Queen, the very strong story thrust, and the way Frame did it. And you got such a beautiful perspective from both characters that this is just, for me, absolutely a must on this list. And 
I just want to say a very happy, I'm doing a happy dance here because Tara, after our last uh, top 10 list, went off and listened to this audiobook and, and she loves it because I was totally right. So much. I loved it so much that it's ruined me for other audiobooks for now. I tried listening to another one by an author that's so popular, I'm not going to name her, that I should have been transfixed immediately and I wasn't and I had to put it down and start listening to Courtney the Countess again because I love it so much. Oh my god. It's so, so good. Okay, what what's your favorite thing that Annie does in her efforts to thaw or tame the beast? Definitely the baking. The fudgy wedgies? Any baking. She was baking cakes and, and fudgy wedgies, and you just name it. But the fudgy wedgies was particularly cute, definitely. That was the one that absolutely, like, I just, I was, it's so cute. Because she went and she got the recipe from Harry's childhood. Like, she went to find what is something out of her childhood that's positive, that's wonderful, to bring it back into her life. And I was like, oh... Oh, I think I'm in love with Annie Brannigan a little bit. <laughs> oh, for sure. Annie Brannigan is the perfect wife. Yeah. How can you not be in love with her? I know. And I think the thing that and- I really appreciated about her, too, is that she's like, she is like very sweet and warm and caring and loving, but like she has a spine. Like she is a strong, strong woman. She knows what she wants. She knows what she wants for herself. She knows what she wants for her child. Like she's, she's determined to wait for real love in her life and she won't compromise for that because it's not just about her it's about Riley too and I just I love that about her that she's as strong as she is sweet and like that scene when when she talks to Harry and it's it's fairly I think it's fairly close to the beginning certainly in the first half so I don't think it's giving away too much but when she basically says and if Riley's bothering you just come talk to me don't talk to her and I thought that yeah. was like, she's a very good mother. Like she yes. was very, like, that was one of those things where she's like, she knows her child. She knows yeah. what her child is like. And, and, and Riley is a really good kid. Um, but she also still knows when and how and where to best protect her and when and how and where to encourage her to go out and do things on her own. I just, anyway, uh, I could talk for an hour about this book. Absolutely. I loved also in here the some of the side characters that help Annie to thaw Harry's uh, br- bristly exterior to reach her heart because there's some very cute villages around Axdale yeah. Hall there's a whole little community in the book and I just love that too for me there was not a character out of place in this in this story at all like it was just perfect yeah yeah I'm trying to think through all of the like I mean, there were some characters that I liked better than other characters, but everyone was there for a reason and totally appropriate. And I also, I cannot wait for Bridget's book. Oh my God. The Vicar. I cannot wait for the Vicar's book. I love her too. So much. So yes, Courting the Hound is definitely on my list. Interestingly enough though, if you're talking about the, the kind of the very strong female leads but they're kind of soft and they they're the ones that help the prickly ones see the light most of them Tara are very strong-willed individuals they just have a different approach to the they're not sledgehammers they're more like water yeah yes 
That's a really good metaphor. I also think, I like that you called out that there aren't very many countesses in lesbic, because you're right, there's not. I mean, there's there's a ton of them in, like, hetero romance, um, but those also tend to be historicals. So I think it's interesting that it's a countess in a contemporary setting, and even on top of that, I love that the countess is so butch. You'll never, I don't, I don't know if that exists anywhere else. Well, this is what Frame does. That's true. The queen, she's a queen in a royal romance, right? Yes, she's a queen. And she's butch. Like, where's uh, Texas butch? Yeah, I haven't read that one in a long time. I enjoyed it. But, I mean, it's never, unfortunately, I'm never going to love it as much as I love Courting the Countess. Courting the so. Countess is definitely Frame's best to date. I look forward to seeing what she's coming, what's coming next, because uh, Courting the Countess is also her latest. Yeah, I hope she's prepared for me to talk about it all over social media for the next year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure she'd love it. Okay, so what's the last one on your list? Okay, so the last one on my list is actually um, a fairly recent release, and it is Close to Home by Rachel Spangler. I am not sure which blurb to read because the one on Amazon and the one on Goodreads and the one on the Bywater website are all different. So you know what? I'm not going to read any of them. I'm going to read the synopsis that I drafted. Yeah, I think I'm just going to do that because Kelly Rowland's life is exactly what she wants, revolving around working beside her dad as an accountant and being the perfect closeted Darlington resident. She hasn't touched anyone or been touched since her last relationship ended a few years prior, and yet it's enough. But when her father has a stroke at the beginning of tax season, everything is turned upside down and she's nudged into hiring an intern to get through the weeks leading up to April 15th. Elliot Garza is in her last semester at college in Darlington and she just needs an internship and a few more classes before she can take off and find a job in Washington, D.C. where she can use her smarts and drive to effect real change. The young dapper Butch didn't expect to be Kelly's best friend or anything, but she didn't expect her to be so cold or closed off either. Kelly's so attractive, and when she loosens up, there's something Elliot can't resist, even if she is as straight as straight can be. A late-night office encounter teaches Elliot that there's more than meets the eye when it comes to Kelly and her sexuality, though. And can two people so different on every level possibly make things work? So the thing with Kelly is that this is not actually the first time that we meet her in fiction. She shows up in Rachel Spangler's book, The Long Way Home. And in that book, she is actually dating one of the two love interests, Beth. And Beth is just wonderful. She's like very sweet and warm. And she's kind of the heart of the community in Darlington. And the way she and Kelly had gotten together before was they sort of became best friends when Beth's parents were killed in a car accident in her very early 20s. And Kelly kind of comforts her and they developed this relationship that they kind of understood, but was very much behind closed doors because Kelly is so, so, so deeply closeted. She refuses. Like, anytime anyone would get a whiff of, like, maybe she and Beth were spending too much time together, she would go out on a date with a man and she wouldn't see Beth for a long time. And so, I mean, it's no wonder that when Rory came along in The Long Way Home and she's this, like, dynamic, super out um outspoken butch like she and beth were just meant to be together and it's wonderful and when i wrote my review for that one i was like how because i knew this i knew close to home was was out and i knew i was going to be reading it soon like how can she possibly redeem kelly so i came into this book already prejudiced against kelly because she 
was very difficult to like. Like, she was not only closeted, but she was paranoid and did some really unattractive things in trying to stay in the closet. And it actually opens, this. the, the scene that opens the book is her father having a stroke. And so it immediately kind of puts her in this position of having to cope, trying to get things done with tax season and kind of having some grief as well because her dad raised her alone and he is all like, he is her world. He is her absolute world. He is her rock. They work together. They, I think live together, It, but it doesn't matter. Like, especially since she's not with Beth anymore. She lost Beth a few years prior. She let Beth walk out the door but her life with her dad is enough. And now that life is not necessarily going to be there anymore. And then Beth convinces her to hire an intern. And that intern is Elliot. And Elliot is just this, again, like she's kind of, she's kind of like Rory, but a little bit younger and a lot more idealistic. And she's this like gorgeous butch and like super dapper and really well put together. And Kelly doesn't like it. And she really tries to keep her at a distance so much so that Elliot actually thinks she's not only straight, but that she's homophobic. So they have this really interesting dynamic. I don't know. It's not, this is probably one of the more difficult books to read out of all the ones that I chose because of who Kelly is and how prickly she is and how protective she is of this identity that she's built in Darlington and yet by the end, I was completely won over. I was totally on her side. I loved her transformation. And I actually, I think this is Rachel Spangler's best book. I think she just did a fabulous job. That takes some serious writing chops. Oh my God. Like, I don't, I don't know how she did it. Like, her writing style is more elegant. The character work is just more developed. Um... Kelly's arc is fabulous. I would say Elliot doesn't really have an arc and Elliot doesn't need to have an arc because it's not her book. This is Kelly's book through and through. But Elliot is the perfect person to kind of draw her out and thaw her and help her see that maybe maybe her particular view of life isn't necessarily the only one or the only option for her. And does it have a happy ever after? It does. It has a really, really, really satisfying happy ever after. I would not have seen that particular ending coming ever. And I was so pleased with it. It was so good. It's enti- it's entirely satisfying. Fantastic. Yeah. Tara, I think that is an excellent list. Anybody looking for a good Thawing the Ice Queen novel has 10 brilliant options to choose from. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. As always, it was a ton of fun. I uh, love being a nerd about books with you. Don't forget to rate this podcast and subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Subscribing to this podcast means that new shows will automatically download to your phone or your computer. It does not mean that you have to pay anything, and it does not mean that we get any of your information, your personal information. I'm Sheena. Tara's joined me today. Bye-bye. Um... What the hell is my intro? <laughs> this is better be going into the outtakes at the end. <laughs> the result is an unexpected the re- re- blah, blah, blah. serial killer versus contract killer. It's really different. <laughs>
<laughs> One's a hobby. <laughs> some things you do for money, some you do for love. <laughs> oh, thanks, Sarah. I didn't know. <laughs> That's possibly the most inappropriate thing I've said all week. What are you doing? This book is way more wonderful than the cover. It looks like a book I would hand to my grandmother. And then you read it and you're like, whoo, I better not hand it to my grandmother. You know, like, you know, 